Brother Tommy has mentioned, we have many who are facing surgeries and have had surgeries and are facing challenges in their lives. And we certainly want to continue to remember them. Talking with Kay Greer, it was good to hear that little Elizabeth came through surgery and doing better, doing much better. And we're so thankful for, for that. And of course, uh, great to have Dwayne Lehman with us today. We've been praying for Dwayne. We'll continue to, and so many others. And uh, we're just uh, thankful that he is feeling well enough to be out and to be here today. So thankful for that. Speaking of thankfulness, the Goldstons, I didn't give this to Tommy, but the Goldstons are new grandparents, and that pink tie will eventually get soiled if uh, Richard keeps wearing it all the time. You can tell it was a girl, I suppose, since he's wearing that pink tie. I think he may sleep in it. I'm not sure about that. But, and I haven't had an appointment with him lately, so I don't know if he's wearing it to work or not. But Oh, he is? Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but they are uh, rightfully so very proud uh, grandparents, uh, their daughter Leanne, of course, and her husband, Wes Moore, our proud parents of little Josie, who is now two weeks uh, old and uh, weighed seven pounds, 13 ounces. Richard said that's the only time in a woman's life that you can announce the weight with confidence and be uh, sure they'll be okay with it. <laughs> Beyond that, you've got to stop that at a certain point. And, uh, and 21 inches long and uh, doing great. And uh, we're so happy for the Goldstons and for the Moores uh, with their uh, new edition. Last uh, Sunday morning we talked about uh, peace, but we talked about peace from a perspective uh, that we will not be talking about it today. Last week we talked about uh, false peace. Uh, the fact that there are those who can be, and I don't have my microphone on there, I'm, I'm probably, well Martin is scurrying, he's disappeared, he's probably, uh, he's probably wondering what has happened to me. Uh, but we talked about false peace and the fact that there are things that produce false peace in people's lives. Tragically, there are false prophets, so to speak, that is, false teachers uh, who produce a false peace. There are false premises that people have that they assume to be correct, and then they act in accordance with those premises, and, uh, and then they get themselves into difficulty spiritually. One that we cited, for example, was that uh, God is good. Uh, sending people to hell is bad. Therefore, God cannot send people to hell. That's a, uh, that's a false premise in the minor premise of that little syllogism. God is good. That, that's true. But sending people to hell is not bad. In fact, God doesn't actually send them to hell. People do that to themselves. God simply does everything he can to have people avoid hell. But God is just as well as merciful. And therefore, if we rebel against God and continually rebel against God, then hell is a reality and an eternal reality uh, at that. And then there are false practices, of course. Those false premises lead to false practices, and people practice certain things for so long, and they feel so good about what they have done for so long, even though it is contrary to God's will, that there is a peace that comes over them even though they're involved in false practices. False prophets, false premises, false practices produce false peace. And I don't know of anything that's more deadly, if you will, than that false peace. I don't know of anything that's more difficult to overcome in terms of reaching someone who has embraced a false peace. I don't know of anything that's more difficult to overcome than that false peace. 
And I think you know what I mean, because if a person feels, I'm doing fine, I'm saved, uh, I'm, I'm doing great, the Lord and I have a wonderful relationship, if in fact you know that that is based upon anything other than the clearly revealed Scripture, and based rather on a better felt than told experience, it's very difficult to penetrate that better felt than told attitude. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us to make sure that the peace about which we're going to speak today is true to the peace that we have embraced and that we are experiencing in our lives today. We're concerned about peace, are we not? We must be, should be concerned about peace. The Bible is concerned about peace. In fact, the subject of peace absolutely permeates the Scriptures. The word peace is found 400 times in the Bible, 296 times in the Old Testament and 104 times in the New Testament. And the peace to which we should give the highest priority is obviously the peace of God that comes from the God of peace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The peace of God from the God of peace. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 wrote to those Thessalonian Christians this desire. He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That is, set you apart, cleanse you and set you apart. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul reminds us in that context in which he's talking to uh, the church at Corinth, writing to them, he reminds them and us as well, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He wrote those words in the context of, of the exercising of miraculous gifts that were available then, and that those gifts were to be exercised in an orderly, structured manner. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. But in our lesson today, I'm going to look at a particular text in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. This beautiful passage in Philippians provides a picture of this peace about which we're speaking today that is paramount, I believe, to all others. Listen to it. Be anxious for nothing, Paul writes, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, now listen, and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God, verse 7. The God of peace, verse 9. The peace of God from the God of peace. What does Paul tell us about that peace? In the first place, in verse 6, he tells us that it is perpetuated by prayer. That peace is perpetuated by prayer. It's punctuated by prayer. It's perpetuated by prayer. Prayer 
is a way of life for the child of God. It's not an occasional thing about which we think, oh yes, I need to pray, don't I? No, it's something that is constantly an integral part of the Christian's life. Prayer is the answer to anxiety. That's what he says here, doesn't it? Be anxious for nothing, but what? But, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's how you answer the anxiety that would seek to creep into the life of the child of God. Be anxious for nothing by what? By offsetting that anxiety with prayer. Now that's not to say that we are not to have concern for our families, that we're not to have concern for the future, and we've talked about that many times. In fact, uh, if a man does not provide for his own, he has denied the faith, he is worse than an infidel, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. And so obviously we have an obligation to our families. We have obligations that need to be met every day. However, we can become overly concerned about those things. We can become overly concerned about the material things in life. And how much does the Bible have to say about that? A great deal. A great deal. Do not love the world, John writes, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away with its lust. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And he who loves the things of the world is not pleasing God. Peace is perpetuated by the life that is punctuated by prayer. And that prayer needs to be done regularly and engaged in fervently and without doubting as we have studied in the book we've just concluded on Sunday night in the book of James. Don't doubt, pray, nothing doubting. And truly, if we are living within the will of God, we have full assurance that God will answer in accordance with His will, and we know that He knows best. We should know that at least. Therefore, knowing these things, peace flows. Peace flows to the heart of the one whose life is being perpetuated by prayer. That's what Paul is telling us here. Be anxious for nothing, on the other hand, in everything by prayer and supplication. And then he adds what? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That's where we go with our sorrows. That's where we go with our challenges. That's where we go with our thankfulness. We don't only go to God in the times in which we are troubled, in the times in which we are sorrowful, in the times in which we are distressed. We go to God with thanksgiving even in the times we are distressed. Notice Paul is saying, with thanksgiving. The with thanksgiving accompanies every prayer. Even the prayer where you may be praying that prayer with tears flowing from your eyes because of the situation in which you find yourself and the sorrow and the distress that you may be in at that particular time as you approach the throne of God, even then the child of God is to be thankful. If for nothing else, thankful that he can approach God with confidence that God will hear him during those times of great distress. Who has that privilege? Who has that knowledge? Who has that assurance? The one whose life has been brought into harmony with the will of God. The one who's in that praying relationship because he's in a saved relationship, having obeyed 
the simple teaching of the gospel of Christ. Oh, so much is said in Scripture about the power of prayer, about the privilege of prayer, about the potency of prayer. And we need never lose sight of that wonderful privilege with all its power. It brings peace. It brings peace to the life of the true child of God. But something else about the peace of God that Paul reminds us of in verse 7 of our text is that it passes all understanding. The peace of God, the King James says, passeth all understanding. The New King James surpasses all understanding. It passes all understanding. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What is Paul reminding us of? He's reminding us that the peace of God is nothing like the peace that this world pursues day in and day out. It is not like the peace that that those in the world prize and pursue every day. It is not a cessation from hostility. Though certainly we're to pray for that kind of peace, obviously, and work for that kind of peace. Not only between nations, but between individuals. We're to do all that we can to live at peace with others, as Paul elsewhere wrote. As much as in you lies, you be at peace with all men. You make sure you've done your part to be at peace. And that you've never precipitated hostility because you have failed to seek that kind of peace. But the peace of God is not like the peace the world pursues and prizes. And Jesus expressed that so beautifully, didn't he, to his own apostles not long before he left them in John 14, 27. Here's something he was going to leave with them that he has also left with us if we are his children today. Peace I leave with you, he said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So important to understand that Jesus was saying that if we embrace and fully appreciate the peace that he has left with his followers, that our hearts will not be troubled or afraid. And that no man can do anything worse than take our lives, but not our souls. And that if we truly enjoy the peace of God that passes all understanding, then our hearts will not be troubled or afraid. Concerned at times? Of course, as we've already said. Agonizing at times over the sin that surrounds us and that seeks to overcome us? Of course. Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2, with the unlawful deeds of those in Sodom. It troubled him deeply. And we should be troubled deeply about the sin that characterizes our nation in this world today. But that cannot and must not disturb the peace that Jesus has left with us if we're his followers. Nothing can destroy that peace except what we do ourselves. But he reminds us here that the human mind cannot fully comprehend the peace of God. But I'll assure you we need to spend a lot of time trying and fully appreciating it and embracing it and experiencing and allowing it to do what God intended for it to do. What is that? Look at the next point, latter part of verse 7. It not only passes all understanding, but it protects the heart and mind. The peace which surpasses all understanding, latter part of verse 7, will guard, protect your hearts and minds 
through Christ Jesus. It protects the heart and mind. How often have we sung the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Peace should surround our hearts and provide a security based upon what? Not the false peace about which we spoke last week, but based upon the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge that we are saved. And how can we have that knowledge that we are saved? Only through the Word of God and obedience to that Word. Not by what I think I have experienced, not what I think I feel, not what I have felt, not what someone has told me, but what I can know for myself based upon the clear Word of God. And incidentally, the word translated, the word translated guard here, will guard your hearts, is a military Term. It has a military connotation. It's like the peace of God has set up a guard around you. You've got spiritual soldiers, as it were, guarding the heart and mind. And something else about this peace is that it's provided, this peace that protects the heart and mind is provided through one source and one source only, and that's the Prince of Peace. You cannot have peace through anyone else other than the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, when he wrote, For unto us a son or a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The angels announced His coming by saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, Luke 2, 14. And yet, though peace is possible for all mankind through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, it is provided only to those who are the pure in heart. Oh, it's available to everyone, but you don't automatically receive the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. It comes only to the pure in heart. You see, we'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He doesn't say it'll just guard your hearts and minds, period, but the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is the key. We have to be in Christ. We have to be purified in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, for they shall see God, Matthew 5 eight. Who are the pure in heart? They are those whose hearts have been purified by obeying the truth. Listen to what Peter wrote to those who had undergone that purification process. In 1 Peter 1.22, he wrote, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Who can love with a pure heart? The one whose heart has been purified. By what? By obeying the what? The truth. Peter wrote to Christians who had done that very thing. Obeying the gospel purifies the soul from sin and it prepares one to practice purity 
throughout one's life. The knowledge of purification produces peace. But that's the key. It has to be a peace that is produced by the knowledge of purification. Not what, not what I feel I have done, but what I know I have done. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, beginning, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, listen to it, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace comes through the blood of his cross. The blood of Jesus whispers, peace within. Those words from that great old hymn, peace, perfect peace. The blood of Jesus whispers what? Peace within. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no peace within. And that's the peace that is pure. Peace. But to be pure in heart involves thinking about the right things, doesn't it? That's verse 8 of our text. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Think on these things. And so the pure in heart are those who think about the right things based upon feeding about upon the right source to produce that right thinking. But then, verse 9, the final verse in our text today reminds us that the peace of God is provided by the Prince of Peace to the pure in heart but to those who also, what? Practice righteousness. Which tells us that to be pure in heart, you have to be practicing righteousness. Look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these what? These do. The idea here is of practice. The idea here is of habit. These do, not occasionally, but habitually. These do, the things that you what? Learned, received, heard, saw. These do, now then, and as you do, the God of peace will be with you. You see, practicing righteousness preserves the peace. Practicing righteousness preserves the peace that we are talking about today. If you don't practice righteousness, you cannot preserve that Peace, true peace, the peace within. John wrote, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. 1 John 2, 29. My practice is absolutely essential to having the peace of God from the God of peace. But how does false peace come? False peace, remember, which we discussed last week, comes from false prophets. 
and false promises that they make, false premises upon which practices are based, and therefore, therefore they are false practices. But as we stated in that lesson, doing the will of the Father produces a peace that is pure, a peace that is truly perfect. Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Question, where is that blood contacted, the blood that will produce that peace? It is in baptism. It is in baptism Burial in water where the blood of Jesus is contacted. That is the will of the Father. It's not baptism alone that saves. Certainly not. But it is baptism that is the culminating act of obedient faith by which one comes into a state of peace. Peace that nothing can take away from us. Even those who might threaten to kill us, or even when we're faced with trials and difficulties that are almost unimaginable to the human heart and mind, we can face them if indeed we have embraced that peace that comes from faith that leads us to repent of our sins, turn our backs upon our past life, confess Jesus to be the Christ, and then to be buried with Him in baptism for the remission of sins. Peace, perfect peace, can only be obtained through the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace says, to obtain it, you must believe that I am He, or die in your sins. John eight twenty four. You must repent of your sins, Luke thirteen three, or perish eternally. You must confess Jesus to be the Christ. Matthew 10, 32. Luke 13, 3 is the passage where he said, repent or perish. And again at verse 5, repeated that same statement. And then in Matthew 10, 32, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before the Father in heaven. And then we're back to baptism where the Lord made it so abundantly clear that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. To those who've done that, to be added to the one church we read about in the New Testament and to practice righteousness thereafter, to those Jesus promises and gives peace, perfect peace, so that we can face anything this life has to offer, even death. If you haven't obeyed those things that Jesus has commanded to become his child, his follower, we plead with you to do it now. There may not be another opportunity. And if you need to come home as one who has been a faithful child but is no longer faithful but wayward, come home to your first love in repentance and confession of sin if it's public in nature that we may pray with you and for you that others may know of your repentance and most importantly that God may extend his wonderful forgiveness to his wayward child who's willing to come home to once again enjoy the peace that the Prince of Peace provides as we stand to sing. Will you come? Why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to you.
placed in his sanctified throne. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? What do you hope, dear brother, to gain by a further delay? There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but his way. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why do you wait, dear brother? <coughs> the harvest is passing away. Your Savior is longing to bless you. There's danger and death in delay. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Be seated, please. Please turn to 279, <clears throat> 279, we'll sing the first two verses of our master, Lord's Supper. <laughs> Why did my Savior come to earth and to the
unto thee heavenly father for this opportunity to get around this table to remember our lord's death may those that partake of this loaf do so in a manner that would be pleasing in thy sight in jesus name amen Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we thank you for this memorial, for this fruit of the vine, which to us as Christians represents the blood that was shed by your son on the cross, we pray that we do so in a manner well-pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
That concludes the Lord's Supper, and we now have our opportunity to give. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that this offering be, that we do so cheerfully, that this offering be used to, to further aid the borders of the church. Forgive us our sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're certainly thrilled that you chose to come to come our way this morning, and we hope you'll be back with us this evening at 6 p.m. for evening worship service. If you're visiting with us, we we want to thank you for being here and taking uh, part in our our worship this morning, and we especially want to invite you back each and every opportunity you have. Hope you will uh, give us a moment to meet you on the on the way out this this morning. Jim, thank you again for a an excellent lesson. We uh, hope you'll have a, a a safe return home and, and a peaceful day. If there's nothing else, we'll stand and have our closing song. Two hundred fifty-four. Tommy announced this mo uh, a few minutes ago that. Roger Campbell's going to be here June 10th. If I remember correctly, that's tonight. <laughs> so we need to be here to hear about what's going on over in Malaysia. Sing the first verse of 254 and be dismissed. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saint of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder.